Amen. Amen. It's wonderful to be back with you again. It's going to be interesting for those of you who've sat through this before. I think it's impossible to preach one sermon the same way twice. And so I'm going to try to keep you all awake uh, since you've heard this already this morning. But it's great to be with you. I bring you greetings from the churches that I visit from Sunday to Sunday. And I want you to know that I talk about you every Sunday. And I talk about your good points and say very little about your bad points. But uh, it's great to be home. It's always great to be able to worship with the wonderful, wonderful Mayfair Church. We are in trying times. As the writer said a long time ago, this is the best of times and this is the worst of times. And I appreciate so much the emphasis the elders are placing upon prayer uh, this afternoon. We'll speak more about it at 5 o'clock and then tomorrow afternoon. And uh, Lee couldn't have picked a better song for what I want to talk about this morning and that is the faithfulness of God, the fact that we can depend upon Him regardless of what we go through day in and day out. Do you think we're getting any better or better, or are we getting worse and worse as a nation? Do you think we're getting closer and closer to God, or are we getting further and further away from God? In a moment, you're going to hear Noby Stone's prayer, and he's, he's going to be talking about as a nation uh, we have moved away from uh, an, uh, appreciating and understanding and following the authority of our Lord and our Savior. There are two verses in the Bible that uh, more or less just captures the entire Bible. And uh, I think we have looked at these from time to time, but I want you to see them in a different light today. Because there's something I want you to do all day today, and all day tomorrow, and all day Tuesday, and even Wednesday morning. I want you to do the same thing, and in fact, for the rest of your life. One of the passages that just captures the entire meaning of the Word of God is John 3.16 in the New Testament. That one verse has challenged the minds of some of the greatest thinkers. Uh, this world has ever known theologically. For God so loved, the word so is an adverb of degree telling how much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so then we have that promise that God loved us when we were unlovable. The, the fact that the word of God begins in Genesis, it goes through Revelation, and it's always calling man back to God, especially in the Old Testament. And so you have this powerful verse that Jesus spoke to one person regarding the love that God has for the world and that his son was willing to die for each and every one of them. The second passage is way over there in the Old Testament. It's not in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's hidden way over there in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And in this passage, we have what I think captures the 39 books of the Old Testament. You know, there are over 20,000 verses in the Bible, Old and New Testament. And yet, these two verses to me personally 
just kind of makes up a reader's digest of the entire Bible. Let's look at it together. If my people, that's very special. I probably won't get any further than that this morning. But if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now to appreciate this verse, it comes on the heels of dedicating the temple. It was 450 B.C. David had died, but David had a dream of building a temple for God, a place of worship, a place of sacrifice. But because David's hands were filled with blood, because he was a man of war, God did not allow David to build this temple. But he did allow his son Solomon to build the temple. And uh, it took a matter of seven years to build the temple, but it took 13 years to build Solomon's palace. So in 1 Kings chapter 7 and 1 Kings chapters 8 and 9, we have these figures that it took 20 years for these men to build this unbelievable structure, seven years for the temple, 13 years for his palace. They overlaid the temple of God with gold. And it was so striking and it was so noticeable that when one would approach the city of Jerusalem and if the sun was just right, it would blind those who would walk up toward the city of Jerusalem because it would reflect on the gold that covered the entire temple. Now, God had already thanked Solomon for building this temple for him, but he goes on to say, and he leads up to the verses we looked at a while ago, that not only do I want a place of worship, do I not only approve of it being overlaid with gold and the sacrifices the people made in order to have this temple ready for God, he said, I want dedicated people I want dedicated people to worship in this in this temple. I don't want just the temple. I don't want it to be just a structure. But I want those who go in to worship in the presence of God and sacrifice to God to be dedicated to Him. And he lists a very simple way in which we are to be that kind of dedicated people. And so then it is in this context that he says so much about what was going on in the lives of the children of Israel. And what I want to do this morning is to just kind of pull it apart. And like I said earlier, I want to do this verse like I play golf. I want to hit it hard and wish it well. And if you'll come back tonight, we'll finish Deuteronomy Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. First of all, he says, if my people, if my people. One of the things, young people, that most people don't understand is that every one of God's promises has strings attached to it. Now, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. 
I just simply mean that there are things that God tells us to do, and then if we will do it, He will tell us what He will do. Let me cite you some examples. In Matthew 28, He says, Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then look at what he said. And lo, I'll be with you always. Why didn't he say this at the beginning? Because if we do not go and make disciples, we do not have the promise that he'll be with us until the end of the age. There are many other passages. Who knows Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Years ago, you remember, I was on the elevator with two young ladies that had obviously experienced the slipping away of their mother. They were in tears. And as I rode the elevator down with them, I heard one say to the other, well, you know, all things work together for good. And then they got off the elevator and left, and I thought, oh, my Oh, my, I just wish they knew the rest of that verse. I just wish they knew that that wasn't the end of the story. That all things do not work together for good for everybody. But Paul was so very careful in that Romans 8 to make sure that they understood that there were conditions connected to things working together for good. Because he goes on to say, we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. And then so many times, especially in John, he talks about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do these things. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another, John 13, 35. And so that sets apart, obviously, a group of people to those that love the Lord, and, uh, and are called according to His purpose. What is the purpose of God to have us here on this earth? 1 John 2, 4, who would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to youward not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so you see, he begins this unbelievable description of of who he wants to worship in his temple by saying, if my people, and he begins it with an if. It's It's not like he was desperate. It was the fact that he was just emphatic. That if you don't do it, it won't get done. And then he goes on to say, if my people. I think sometimes one of our biggest problems is we forget who we belong to. We forget who died for us. We forget who intercedes for us. Who takes our groanings and, and our pain and our hurt and puts it in, in an acceptable manner unto the Lord? Who is our advocate? We forget that we are the Lord's people. Galatians 3 
3.25, For you are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How many of us wake up every morning thinking and realizing that, that we are so blessed because we're children of God, that we're children that belong to Him, and He's made us promises, and we understand those promises, and we're doing the very best we can to continue that those promises are in our lives in every way. So if my people, then he says people. He didn't say if my political party. He didn't say if my financially uh, well-off, those who are Israel, the, the wealthy group of Israel, he didn't say if uh, those who are the most powerful in Israel will hear, will hear my voice, will seek me. And will, no, he said, if my people. One of the blessings of my life right now is to see the Lord's people like I have never seen them before. For 36 years, I was blessed to be able to concentrate on one congregation. And it's been a joy. But now I'm able to be a part of the brotherhood. Now I'm able to see the Lord's people like I've never seen them before. I've seen those with large congregations. I've seen those with small congregations. I've seen those with good leadership, and I've seen those with leadership that didn't know really what to do. But by and large, I'm so impressed with God's people. And everywhere I go, and just about every Sunday, I ask these people to use your credibility. Use the fact that you live right. Use the fact that you're trying to do God's will, and that there are other people in the world that have no idea what this is all about. They don't understand why you go to church all the time. They don't understand what it means for you to be a person of prayer and a person that's seeking the Lord. And so he said, if, if my people, it's kind of like a dad that calls, his, that calls the children and grandchildren together and they're in a difficult time and the dad just kind of says with his heart, now, now this, if, if my family doesn't do this, it's not going to get done. If I can't depend upon my family, who in the name of common sense can I depend on? Was the Lord saying, if y'all don't do it, the Philistines are going to do it? Did the Lord say, if y'all do not do it, that the Chaldeans are going to do it? Or the heathens that permeated that part of the country? No, he was very specific by saying, look, this is the only shot you've got. If my people who are called by my name. Now, folks, it doesn't get any, in, in the Bible, it doesn't get any better than this. Because that little statement, who are called by my name, is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. And it means those who live under my authority. Those who understand lordship. Those who understand stewardship. Those who understand, yes, it all belongs to the Lord. 
and he's just let us use it. And you know, there's so few, I think, of us that truly understands this. I have to tell sometimes congregations when I talk about stewardship that the Lord has so blessed this congregation with material things that on any given Sunday I can present a need to you and we can take up thousands and thousands of dollars. It's so easy for us to write a check, isn't it? But what about coming Tuesday or tomorrow afternoon? How about taking another hour of your time for prayer? What about using the things that you had? Like in Acts chapter 2, it says, And they sold their goods, and they brought their goods, and laid them at the apostles' feet. Why? Because these 3,000 babies had become Christians. 3,000 Jews away from home had become Christians. They had to remain in Jerusalem to be further taught. They needed to be fed. They needed to be clothed. They needed to be housed until they could be taught further the Word of God. And so then... The local brethren sold what they had and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was probably 50 years ago. Haiti was having a hard time then. I think Haiti has always had a hard time. They do get some things that they certainly did not deserve, like earthquakes and tornadoes. But I remember there was a man in Montgomery who did a lot of work in, in Haiti, and I'd never thought about this before. And I remember he was speaking one afternoon because he was going back to Haiti because there was a congregation there. And he told the people, he said, I told my people a couple of weeks ago that I was going to make an evangelistic journey into the island of Haiti. And I told the men if they had two shirts to bring one of them because I would see men that didn't have a shirt. And he said, I told the ladies that if you have two dresses, bring one of them, because I'll see ladies that don't have a dress to wear. That's been 50 years ago. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. Because I cannot conceive of us in the Bible Belt being that needy. I can't conceive of something happening that would be so traumatic that the leaders would stand up here and say, bring us half of everything you've got. And so when we understand the Lordship of Christ, when we understand what it means to be called if my people. Again, it, it's not from desperation. It's from the fact that he wants them to know that if you don't do it, nobody's going to. And this is the same thing about the church. Do we think that the Lions Club, the Kiwanis Club, do we think that all of these other organizations are going to help make the world better, even though they do good work? Are they in the saving business like you and I are in the saving business? That the Lord gave us the marching orders to bring people out of the world into the kingdom of His dear Son, Colossians 
And so he says, if my people. Why did he say if my people? Because it is only the Lord's people that has the answer to life's problems. It is only the Lord's people that, have, that will have the answer to life's problems. Number one, who am I? Am I just a descendant of apes and monkeys? Or am I really made in the image of God? And do I have dwelling in me the Holy Spirit because I'm a child of God? And has God made me in His image? Am I somebody special? Or am I in a, just a chain of evolution? The world doesn't know who they are. But it is unbelievable what happens when God's people realize who they are. And how we've been made and for what reason we have been placed upon this earth. So we know who we are. We know where we came from. But here's the most important thing is we know where we're going. We know where we're going. We have promises that this life is not the end. I was reading a little article the other day that I get just like most of you do in your emails. It says, we're not home yet. And that's the truth. We may think we are. We may act like we are. We may invest like we are, but we're not home yet. You see, the Lord promised his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have the answer to life's questions, but nobody else does. The world wanders. The world is filled with guilt. The world is filled with doubt. The world is filled with fear. Oh, there's my word again. I'm working so hard as I get older to be filled with faith instead of fear. And, and I guess it could be a lack of faith. Because the Lord said in Hebrews 13 that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says that, I'm so glad he put that in there. He said, therefore, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, for the Christian... The sun's going to come up Tuesday, Wednesday morning. And we're going to go on living for the Lord like never before. We're going to go on and live for the Lord and lean upon His promises. Because in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, He said, trust in the Lord. It's on our money, but it's not in our hearts like it should be. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, I trust Him on Sunday morning, and I, I trust Him here, and I trust Him, but, but there are areas I haven't let go. Then you're not trusting Him with all of your heart. 
And then that other little statement really does get us, especially those of us who are blessed by having been able to learn a little bit more and do a little more. He said, lean not upon thine own understanding. Like Bob said, it's been difficult the last two years. And it's even more difficult now to know what to believe. You watch one station, they'll tell you one thing. You watch another station, they'll tell you the very opposite. We're inundated 24-7, seven days a week. You would think this entire world is made up of the political system. I love democracy, but I wish it would work like it was originally designed to. You see, our real spiritual blessings don't come out of Washington. In Ephesians 1, 3, Paul says all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. That's the poor people down in Cuba. That's the poor people where you live across the other side of the world. They may not have enough to eat. They may not have enough to wear. But they're Christians. And they know that the Lord keeps them going the Lord gives them hope for even a better life. I read another statement the other day that helps because I'm there just about every day, but it kind of helps us through these next three or four days. The title of the article was, The Lord is in the Waiting Room Too. It was a good article. You're not there by yourself. Now, we might be in the waiting room as a group of God's people in this country, but we need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that he's in that waiting room too. And we serve a God, like Bob said, that is the creator and the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Let's resolve this morning that we're going to be stronger that we're going to depend on him more and we're going to believe even harder <laughs> in the promises of God. And then the fact that it is the darkest of days, it can be for the Lord's church the brightest of days because people like me are going to be scared and they're going to have to have some answers. And bless your heart, God's given us those answers. It may be this morning that your heart's heavy for a number of reasons. He goes on to say, we'll talk about tonight, if, if you will turn away from your wicked way. That word wicked is a terrible word. But he's calling for God's people to come back. He's calling for God's people to get ready to serve God. Sometimes you have to get ready to serve God. You have to get ready to stand. The Lord's not interested in as much in those that stand as he is in those that kneel. And that's what we're going to do. If you're not a Christian, I can't think of a better time 
for you to declare whose side you're on. In Mark 16, 16, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Why didn't he say that at the front of it? Because that's what you and I have to do. We have to believe and we have to be baptized. Maybe your heart's heavy. Maybe there are things going on that you know about that you need to correct. Won't you come while together we stand and sing? I am resolved no 